The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilded Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, the largest provider of cancer support in the U.S. and around the world. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. On today's show, which is being brought to us in part by Amgen and Genentech, we'll be talking about the important role of cancer caregivers. Cancer caregivers are the people who provide support for a loved one with cancer, be it physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, logistical. Uh, you know, at the Cancer Support Community, we certainly know that when a person was di- is diagnosed with cancer, many people are affected. And that's why we offer support and educational programs specifically for people who care about someone with cancer both in person and uh, uh, through uh, our 50 affiliate locations nationwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. We have uh, three wonderful guests today who offer a unique perspective on the role of cancer caregivers. Uh, in the next hour, we'll discuss the important role of caregivers in the cancer journey, the many challenges that they face and the resources that are available to help them. Uh, before we introduce our guests, I just want to take a step back and really look at the big picture on this issue. Um, you know, in the next year, 1.5 million people in the U.S. will be diagnosed with cancer. You know, and as I said earlier, cancer doesn't just affect the person who's diagnosed, but it certainly affects friends and family as well. And if 1.5 million people are diagnosed with cancer, it means that many, many additional people will find themselves in the role of cancer caregiver in the next 12 months and beyond. Uh, the term caregiver really can be defined in a number of different ways, but for the purposes of the discussion today, let's say that a caregiver is anyone who provides physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, or logistical support to a loved one with a chronic, disabling, or life-threatening illness. In more practical terms, caregiving can mean helping someone with day-to-day activities, such as doctor visits or preparing food, uh, but it can also be long-distance, coordinating care and services for your loved one over the phone or uh, perhaps by email. Um, caregiving can also mean giving emotional and spiritual support. Someone may be helping their loved one cope and work through the, the many feelings and emotions that come along with a cancer diagnosis. So sometimes talking, listening, just being there uh, are some of the most important things a caregiver can do. Giving care and support during such a challenging time isn't always easy, and the natural response of many caregivers is to put their own feelings and needs aside. But as you can imagine, there's a great deal of stress placed on the shoulders of the caregiver, and and this added pressure and worry really can lead to some long-term health and other problems for the caregiver. So 
Our goal today is really to identify some of the challenges faced by caregivers. Talk about the different ways that they can address these issues um, and care for their loved one while also taking care of themselves. So three great guests today joining me um, to share some invaluable information about cancer caregiving. First, I'm thrilled to welcome Dr. Laurel Northhouse. Uh, She is professor of nursing at the University of Michigan. Uh, Dr. Northhouse is a nurse scientist in the field of cancer research. Uh, During her career, she has conducted several studies investigating the impact of cancer on the family. As an expert in the field of cancer caregiving, Dr. Northhouse provides a unique perspective on the needs of both patients and caregivers and the variety of tools and resources that are available to them. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Northhouse. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. We are also here with Bonnie Dockham. Uh, Bonnie is the Program Director at the Cancer Support Community in Southeast Michigan. Bonnie holds a master's degree in social work from the University of Michigan and practiced as a licensed medical social worker at St. Joseph Mercy Hospital in Ann Arbor, Michigan, before coming to work for the Cancer Support Community. She has worked with many patients and caregivers throughout her career. She is currently collaborating with Dr. Northhouse to investigate a new resource for patients and caregivers called FOCUS, but we're going to talk more about their partnership in this new program a little bit later in the show. Thanks for being here, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. And lastly, we are pleased to welcome Donna Fisher. Donna became a cancer caregiver three years ago when her daughter, Abby, was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. After the diagnosis, Donna became a participant at the Cancer Support Community Affiliate in Southeast Michigan, attending a support group specifically for caregivers. Donna is here to tell us from firsthand experience what it's like to be a caregiver and how she was able to navigate through the experience with guidance from the cancer support community and additional support from her family and friends. Welcome, Donna. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So we've got a lot to cover on the show today, so I want to get started by talking about the word caregiver. Uh, what does that word mean? Uh, who falls into that category? Dr. Northhouse, I'm going to start with you. Um, you've been studying the effect of cancer on families for many years. Can you tell us a bit about the types of people that fall into this kind of quote-unquote caregiving role and how the term caregiver originated? Well, thank you, Kim. Uh, there are many types of people who become caregivers. This includes family members, friends, significant others, and even neighbors. The term caregiver, I think you did a good job of defining it, and I usually think of it as the person who provides emotional support or physical care to another person but without pay. That distinguishes it from sort of the formal caregiver. But in reality, as you said, the caregiver is any person that the cancer patient or survivor identifies as their their primary source of help. I'd just like to talk a minute about a national study that was conducted a few years ago to determine who is the typical caregiver of people who are ill in the United States. And researchers have found that most of the time the caregiver is a family member. And, in fact, 88% of all caregivers they identified were family members. Uh, And that's probably why the term family caregiver is used so often. Uh, The researchers also questioned if family caregivers were generally male or female And they found that about two-thirds of the family caregivers were female and one-third were male, but the the number of male caregivers seems to be increasing. Mm. And you also ask, where did that term family caregiver originate? And I'm not exactly sure where it originated, but I believe that the term caregiver was more commonly used in other long-term chronic illnesses such as Alzheimer's disease before um, we started using it in the cancer area. But now um, the word caregiver is commonly used, and I think it's because many research studies have documented the important role that the family or the family caregiver plays in helping their loved one with cancer. 
So we, um, so that's very interesting. Eighty-eight percent of caregivers are, are, are family members, right. and mm-hmm. uh, two-thirds of female are female, which probably right. won't, won't surprise too many of our listeners. But right. <laughs> that's a nat- natural <laughs> tendency, I think. Um, right. But but we we I know at the cancer support community we hear this sometimes that sometimes people are sort of reluctant to identify with that term uh, caregiver or even have any any term for themselves as a family member helping to take care of a loved one with any w- w- with an illness. Why do you think people some people shy shy away from that or shy away from any kind of term or title? Well, I think that's true, Kim, and uh, some family members or friends don't think of themselves as caregivers. Instead, uh, I think they think of themselves as just family or just friends who are helping their loved one. Um, I also think that they see their role as a natural one and that anyone would do this for someone they cared about, hence they don't want this formal term caregiver. Um, And I also think that family members don't want others to view their help as a burdensome task, which uh, the word caregiver sometimes seems to imply. Mm -hmm. But another reason that family members um, may want to play down their role as caregiver, um, and I think a reason why they want to do that, I should say, is that they don't want others to see their caregiving role as a big deal, which could then draw attention away from the uh, cancer patient or the cancer survivor to themselves as the caregiver. So anyhow, they play down their role because they want the attention to stay on the person diagnosed with cancer. But, you know, after many years of ignoring family caregivers' needs, health professionals now recognize that caregivers play a vital role in helping uh, cancer patients recover from cancer and the treatments that they often receive. And we as health professionals are also starting to realize that family caregivers need information and support as much as the patients or the survivors do. And the reason for that is it's important that the family caregiver or family members feel well prepared to help their loved ones at home. They, hmm. it, it, it's a vital role. Hmm. Well, Donna, you certainly had some personal experience with this. Um, you, you became a caregiver for your daughter, Abby, when she was diagnosed with cancer three years ago. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, that time in, in, in your life and what that experience was like for you following uh, Abby's diagnosis. I mean, did you feel like you were a caregiver at that time? I didn't see myself as a caregiver initially. Um, my first um, reaction was I was terrified. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I was out of control. I I didn't know what I would be able to do. I'm a mom. I just wanted to fix it. I didn't even uh, begin to look at what would be involved in terms of caring for Abby over a period of time. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, tell us a little bit more about her diagnosis and what that what that time was like. Yes, um, she was um, ill with um, swollen glands and fatigue for some time and had gone to a physician who told her that she just needed to get more rest and that she didn't need an antibiotic, she should take care of herself. Mm -hmm. Um, That condition did not go away, and then she was diagnosed um, um, later with Hodgkin's lymphoma, and it was staged at 4, and um, we were just so afraid, just so afraid. Um, initially, um, she was, went into treatment immediately, but had a lot of complications related to her chemotherapy that were very difficult for us. So it stretched out over a period of time. And what, at what age was she when she was diagnosed? She, she was 26 when she was diagnosed, and she'd been living on her own. Um, completely successfully, and um, we were good friends, but certainly I didn't have anything to do with making decisions for her, and so finding my niche was very difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, Bonnie, we're, we're going we're gonna to take a, a, a break in just a minute, but I know that you've facilitated many support groups for cancer patients and family members over the years. Um, can you give us some examples of, of kind of tasks or roles that you've seen caregivers take on when a loved one is diagnosed? I mean, what are the, what, what's in those caregiver roles? Sure, um, and you know Donna and Laurel uh, mentioned a few of those, um, a few of these roles, or alluded to them in some ways. Um, a really common thing that um, you hear from caregivers is talking about uh, the role reversal or the changes in the role that Donna mentioned a little bit. That you know Abby was out and yeah. living on her own, and, and now this diagnosis comes into their lives, and, and how does that um, change? And so we hear often in our groups um, when caregivers are now um, in charge of, of a number of different things that they're not used to um, being in charge of, whether it's um, being the sole breadwinner or um, being that person that provides emotional support when maybe yeah. the person who's been diagnosed is, is generally that person. Um, things ranging from doing the laundry or taking care of the children, and we talk about that two-thirds of caregivers being women, um, it's very uh, common that some of these role reversals are more difficult um, when the caregiver is, is a man, um, and, and that is often because of uh, the systems that are set up um, within the family unit. So that's something that we hear of often. Other tasks that um, a, a wide range of caregivers do, uh, whether they're caregiving from afar that we talked about, there's a lot of time researching, reading, um, learning about the cancer, and trying to help do some of that back, um, you know, that homework, that background yeah. work. Yeah. Um, that's some tasks that often caregivers take on. And then, and then the local caregivers do things like taking their loved one to appointments, driving them places, meals, some of those things that you did uh, mentioned. Uh, sure, some of those very practical things, yeah. We're, we're talking today uh, about caregiving, uh, the role of caregivers, how caregivers can take care of their loved one, at the same time take care of themselves. Uh, themselves. We're going to take a quick break here and we will be right back. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Your life, your health, your network. 
You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Morphotech and Novartis Oncology. We are talking about cancer caregivers, the people who provide support to a loved one following a cancer diagnosis. Uh, before the break, we talked about what a caregiver is and the many uh, and varied tasks that caregivers are responsible for. Um, and uh, appreciate you know, Bonnie giving us some of those examples because we you know you've seen so many examples of, of, of caregivers through the years and, and uh, the various roles. Uh, that they do take on, but but let's switch gears for a minute and talk about some of the challenges that caregivers face and why uh, it's important to address these issues. Um, Donna, you talked to us uh, earlier in the show about when your adult daughter was diagnosed uh, with cancer and you uh, taking on kind of an unexpected role. Um, I'm sure that as a result of that, there were many aspects of your life that changed. Can you Talk about some of the challenges that you faced as a caregiver, logistically, emotionally, financially, scheduling-wise. Um, you know, how did that how did that change your life? I mean, I understand your daughter actually moved in with you, um, you know, at a certain point. So that's uh, you know, obviously a great impact. Yes. Um, initially, um, she stayed at her own home, and um, but she was very ill, and so um, just a, a minor point would be that I used to drive her to work in the morning, and mm. then I would go back and pick her up in the afternoon and take her back. I was fortunate that I worked in a school system where people were very compassionate and gave me some flexibility, but it still added another component to my day. Um, I also um, am in a community where I've lived for many years. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I have um, was terribly involved in my community. I'm on the village council and on several committees and commissions. And I I wanted to just dump everything, but then mm-hmm. I knew that if I did get rid of everything and I had to rebuild, I didn't want to start from scratch. And yet I wanted to give as much as I could to Abby. Um, financially, um, Abby had very, very poor coverage, and I ended up giving her as much financial help as I could. But as a single woman and homeowner, um, I had not a lot of extra money to go around. That was also very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, you know, I, you know, we certainly know that uh, the, the diagnosis of cancer, again, as we said earlier in the show, doesn't just affect the patient, but really affects all, the, all, all those around that person. Um, Bonnie, in your experience, what are some of the additional issues faced by by cancer caregivers after diagnosis? It's interesting to hear Donna talk about wanting to just just drop everything else that was going on in her life and and and, and you know and try to focus on this. But there was something that she she realized there was something that was maybe unhealthy, you know, uh, about that, or or would would create some lack of balance of you know in in, in her life. What what are some additional issues, kind of practical issues that you've seen people face? Sure. So it's really common for caregivers to have the feeling of helplessness that Donna mentioned. Um, Caregivers, they want to help their loved one. They want to do everything they can, but they don't really know what that would look like or how to do it. Um, So we often hear caregivers say that they feel um, like they've lost control, as we hear that from patients as well. Um, It's really difficult for caregivers to sort of find the path, like you talk about this balance of how to support their loved one while also continuing their own lives. 
And, and I think it also depends on the relationship. Um, you know, we hear different things with caregivers and, and patients, often depending on that relationship. But there are a number of losses that are experienced by caregivers that are that are often not addressed. And um, these losses can be dependent on the stage of life, but they can range from losses of income that we talked about, um, changes yeah. in family planning, or, or um, fertility is often affected. How, how does that affect a family uh, when... Mm. Uh, a person that has lost their fertility. Um, and for the older adults, retirement goals or dreams, um, you know, the, the golden years are, are generally not thought of um, driving their, their husband or wife or their, or their um, you know, um, their sibling to yeah. uh, treatment every day yeah. of the week. Um, there are intimacy and relationship changes that occur when um, cancer is uh, coming into a relationship. So these are all really important issues that are faced by cancer caregivers that aren't always brought to the forefront. I think we often think about the issues of the practical things, the the, um, the, the exhaustion, the, the physical caregiving, but there are all these other caregiving issues that are really impactful on, on one's life. Yeah, I, I remember hearing, a, a, sitting in on a caregiver support group, I remember hearing a woman say, you know, I... Uh, you know, Ma, Ma, she was taking care of her sister. She said, my sister can stay in bed. My sister can be afraid. My sister can cry. My sister cannot go to work today. I can't do any of those things. I have to, you know, I have to keep the trains running here and, 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 and keep moving kind of despite some of the things that I'm uh, experiencing both both kind of emotionally and uh, uh, and physically. Um, and Dr. North really says, yeah, and, 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 so and, true. and Dr., yeah, that's, you know, we, 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 we hear that really quite a bit. Um you really have to put on a kind of a strong front. Um, Dr. North, as someone who studied the effects of cancer on families, can you talk about some of the long-term effects that taking care of a loved one can have, uh, can have on a caregiver? We, we see these folks really, uh, you know, you, we talk about Donna, really so willingly taking on this role and wanting to do everything that she could do for her daughter. But, but, but let's be practical. You know, what are the long-term effects of, of taking on these additional life roles? Well, uh, you're right, Kim. There are some long-term effects of being a caregiver. But I think it's important to keep in mind that these effects vary depending on how much help the caregiver needs to provide and how much strain they have uh, trying to provide this care. For example, people, um, uh, I mean, I should say caregivers who are caring for people with advanced cancer often feel more strain because their loved one may have more pain or need more help on a day-to-day basis. But caregivers of survivors who have few needs and are very self-sufficient they have less strain and then fewer long-term effects. However, it's common for caregivers in general to feel both physical and mental fatigue. And I'd like to distinguish between those two because caregivers yeah. often know what physical fatigue is, that sense of, uh, you know, just exhaustion. But they also um, often experience long-term mental fatigue. And mental fatigue occurs when they have to make a lot of decisions, caregivers that is, focus constantly on providing care or monitoring their loved ones. And because this takes mental energy, over time, caregivers may have trouble concentrating, remembering things, feel irritable, and it's even common that they might snap at their loved one or even others. And these reactions are common in caregivers who feel mentally worn out over time. And the other thing is we also know that worry that caregivers have can continue um, indefinitely at times. And uh, it's interesting that fear of recurrence, which we often think of survivors having, is something that caregivers have as well. And we've actually Mm. been studying that. And sometimes caregivers have even more fear about the cancer coming back than than the uh, survivor themselves, which, you know, I think there's reasons for that. But I just want to mention that. Um, 
And I, also in terms of long-term caregivers who are providing constant care can have some health problems of their own. This can be due to the stress of caregiving or to the fact that some caregivers neglect their own health. And I don't know if that was a situation for Donna, but many caregivers put the needs of their loved one ahead of their own needs and right. they don't follow up on the regular appointments or sometimes right. like women don't get their mammograms or any screening assessments and so forth. And, and they also then just can feel this exhaustion for a long period of time which right. um, can add to, you know, many times caregivers, I think the estimates are about 50% of caregivers have their own comorbid conditions. And so when right. you add that stress for a long period of time, their their own health can deteriorate. Um, so, we've also heard, uh, Dr. Natasha, you know, folks say, well, I mean, how, you know, going to the gym, I mean, I can't go to the gym now. It would be so right. selfish of me, right. you know, to run off to the gym right. when my, right. you know, when my loved one is suffering so yeah. that they, they're not getting the exercise, they're not doing the self-care. Right. Uh, that they need to do to stay strong. Right. Oh, no, I agree with you. And they sometimes see those kinds of behaviors as a luxury. That, a luxury, you know, I, yeah. I, yeah. I'm not supposed to have these luxuries because I'm supposed to be providing constant care. But um, really, that's not a luxury. That's uh, healthy um, you know, maintenance of one's physical and mental well-being. And so that's one of the things in our program we try to stress to caregivers is you really do have to try to take time, find time to do those kinds of things. But I know it seems impossible. And you'll, you'll, be, a better, you'll be a better caregiver if you do. Yeah. You'll, you'll yeah. be better able to support your loved one. Um, Donna, did you, uh, you know, after these, we're, we're coming up on a, on a break uh, in a couple minutes here, but did you uh, find that after, you know, so many, so many months of caring um, for your daughter that, that the responsibility began uh, to, to take a toll on you? Did, did, did you feel that? Uh, there's no question. Um, I felt sad all the time, and, and I didn't feel like I ever had much fun. Um, I also made a lot of mistakes at work. Um, I also did not eat well. Um, I had a terrible time um, getting a good night's rest. So physically and emotionally, I was just worn out, but never wanted to give up and never wanted to stop caring for Abby. But it was extremely difficult. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're going um, in to, our, in our next segment, we're going to talk about some of the, the, the support services that are um, out there. But I imagine, Dr. Northhouse, that even going to a caregiver support group is something that, that caregivers don't want to do because it's time away from their loved one. Or as you said, it seems like an indulgence or a luxury. Um, uh, but, you know, why is it so important that, that, uh, that, that these caregivers really do get support? Well, I think just to be able to um, maintain their own well-being and also to provide, um, you know, good care, as we've just been talking about. You know, some caregivers feel isolated, and we think it's important for them to try to seek help um, or accept help. And I just want to mention that sometimes accepting help is difficult for caregivers who have the sense that they should be very strong, as you mentioned earlier, and do it all on their own. Um, But we also know that uh, many caregivers don't get the kind of support they need. It's not uncommon for some friends to say, well, you know, um, we're really trying to support the, the person with cancer, and they kind of overlook the needs of the caregiver sort of off to the side, and often because the caregiver doesn't make their needs known because, again, they don't want to take the attention or support away from the patient. But really, um, it's important for caregivers to try to seek help and know that it's important for their well-being. Um, it, this might just mean going out for coffee with a friend, uh, trying to take a break and do something fun. Donna mentioned she didn't have much fun, and really being able to go out and laugh in spite of dealing with a serious illness is really an important um, way to try to deal with the stress of, of cancer. Which is and just quick, kind of odd. Yeah, and just quickly before the break, um, 
do, do you find, Dr. Northas, the reason that two-thirds of caregivers are, are, are women is because women are, are, are home more, because it's a women's natural tendency? So what, what do we know about that? Well, I think one of the reasons is that women are assumed to be the the, um, the caregiver, um, that we've been socialized as women to be care providers, and I think when it comes time to tap who's going to be the caregiver in the family, I'm not really retur- um, I, you know talking about like a spouse or that situation, but the, often the adult daughter is the one who's expected to step, to step forward. Right. Um, and I think what happens is sometimes female caregivers don't feel like they have a choice. They just assume they will be the, the caregiver. Right. On the other hand, um, many times women do have many of those um, skills they've learned over the course of their life that makes them a good caregiver. So I think there's mm-hmm. a number of um, reasons why this happened, uh, is happening, but I do think it's changing. And uh, as Bonnie right. said, that role change for um, men can be kind of difficult. Right, right. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today we're talking about cancer caregiving. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today we're talking about cancer caregivers. I'm here with Dr. Laurel Northhouse, a nurse scientist in the field of cancer research, uh, also joining me is Bonnie Dockham, Program Director at the Cancer Support Community in Southeast Michigan, and uh, we also have Donna Fisher. Uh, Donna has uh, spent the past few years caring for her daughter, uh, Abby. So far today, we have defined the term caregiver. We've talked about the uh, enormous role that caregivers take on when a loved one is diagnosed with cancer. We've also discussed the many challenges that caregivers face and what the long-term consequences of some of those stressors can be. So now I'd like to talk to our panelists about some of the resources available 
to caregivers and about the importance of seeking support. So, um, Donna, let me start with you. You found a support group for caregivers at the Cancer Support Community Affiliate there in southeast Michigan. How did you find uh, the, the, the group and the program there, and, and, and how did it help you? What was your experience? Um, it was Abby who was had looked for a support group for herself, and she was part of the patient uh, support group. And while I was struggling, and Abby knew that, she suggested that I might want to look into a caregiver's group. And at first I was very reluctant to do that. I thought, I don't need anybody to help me. I can do this. I, I can take care of myself and her. Well, I learned after a very short period of time that I could not do that. Um, and I was a bit uh, nervous. Um, I had a wonderful meeting with Bonnie, a screening meeting with Bonnie, and she was very friendly and very welcoming. That helped me to get my foot through the door. Um, I did come into the group, and um, I had been there only probably 15 minutes when I knew that I was in the right place. I was in a place where um, other people were experiencing the same things that I was experiencing, and some of their emotions were running the same um, pace that mine were there. And I actually, I shudder to think what it would have been like if I had not found the support group. Mm, wow, really powerful. Um, Bonnie, so, so talk to us a little bit more about um, why it is important for caregivers to seek support when they're caring for a loved one. Sure. So um, so we talked a lot about um, the different reasons why we speculate that caregivers don't seek out support for themselves. And um, I, really, I really want to emphasize how important it is. I think that's what we're saying. But the fact is really quite opposite um, from what caregivers think. I don't, I don't need to seek support. I need to just support my loved one. And um, there is a study published by the American Cancer Society recently that discusses the relationship between caregiving and mental health. And we know that depression exists in caregivers, and, and caregivers often feel very alone. And we also know that if caregivers are distressed, it raises the level of patient distress or the um, prevalence of depression in the patient, which I think caregivers don't know um, that if they're distressed and they're not getting their needs met, it actually does affect the patient because um, caregivers are always putting the, their loved one first. And um, when, when we talk about it in this way, it makes caregivers a little bit more willing to accept, accept some outside support. Um, but this, this study published by the American Cancer Society talks about this relationship and about how people who have support did much better, um, their mental health was much better through cancer caregiving when they had support, when they had emotional support, higher um, self-esteem and companionship, as well as um, someone available to help them with problem-solving, daily, um, daily kind of support things, how to, how to navigate life. Um, this also was impacted by insurance status and also by um, social classes. So people who had um, good insurance and higher social classes had lower rates of, of depression. Mm. Um, so it, it just goes to show how very important and how this is all related into to one big thing, that how the caregiver and the loved ones really do affect each other. And the problem that I see, even though the... Um, Treatment areas are getting much, much better, um, as Laurel has talked about, in providing support for family members and, and loved ones. It's not something that's routinely screened for in the cancer centers. Right, um, right. So caregivers have to be a bit more active in advocating for themselves, which is also a difficult step to take to say, hey, I need something too. So we have that additional um, layer of, of difficulty. 
So again, so just talk for a minute, Bonnie, about, you know, again, we know sometimes we talked about how caregivers find it hard to reach out to others for help, that they feel like, you know, this is not about me, this is about the person, you know, the patient, the person I'm caring for, and it would be, you know, selfish, self-indulgent, a luxury for me to, to, you know, even think this is about me or to get support from myself or do the things that, um, you know, that I want to do or need to do to take care of myself, that I really just need to focus everything, um, all, you know, on my caregiver and on my patient that I'm taking care of. Why, you know, why is this and what are some ways that we can help break that a little bit and, and let folks who are listening today know that that they should be seeking the support that there are resources out there and that they can actually be a better caregiver if they're actually taking care of them taking care of themselves well, I think that the I think that when we can say that this is actually backed up by some research, um, instead of yeah. just encouraging people to say, "You know, no, you really do need to take care of yourself, we can actually say, we know that when caregivers are distressed or are, are feeling down or feeling um, multiple stressors in their lives, that it actually affects the patient negatively. So by people taking everything on and, and not doing anything for themselves, it actually is not a good thing for the patient. Um, yeah. It's not a good thing for the patient emotionally or physically. So that's one thing that is really important to tell people because then it's no longer about them. Um, it's, again, about their loved one, and people are more likely to do that. Um, but I think we also just need to normalize the fact that this is a very difficult experience for loved ones. And I think that um, we, as professionals and as caregivers, need to raise, continue to raise awareness to make sure that the um, health system is encouraging people to uh, reach out. Um, yeah. is asking the questions so it's not so hard for people to um, bring it out themselves. I also always um, share with people that the, the harder thing is, um, is usually the right thing. So um, pretending like everything is okay is yeah. often easier than it is to say, I'm really having a, a hard time. Um, right. It takes more strength to reach out and get support than pretend like you don't need it. Like you don't need it. Dr. Northhouse, other, other strategies, other ways for us to, to help caregivers understand that they need this support and that there, that there are some resources out there for them. I like, I like your idea, Bonnie, of saying, look, there's some, you know, this is not just a touchy-feely nice thing that we're talking about here. There's some data to show that, <coughs> excuse me, that you will, be, you will be better, you will be healthier, you will live longer, you will be a better caregiver if you take advantage of these services. Well, Dr. Northhouse, have you seen I, some other strategies there? Um, well, actually, I first want to say I agree with everything that Bonnie said, the, that the research is very clear on the value of getting support um, uh, for caregivers and how that can help them and also helps them be a, a better caregiver. Um, in terms of other sources of support, I think that's the question you're asking me, that they can Yes, speak. yes, some other yes. ways that we have Well, I think um, in our community, yeah. we're, we're very fortunate that we have um, the cancer support community right here that people can take uh, part in, and um, having been over there a fair amount working with Bonnie, I'm just um, amazed at the quality of programs and the, the variety of programs that are there from, from cooking to, um, as Donna mentioned, mm-hmm. caregiver support groups and so forth, but that's a wonderful resource, so I just wanted to, you know, say that for sure. Wonderful. I think um, other places for support in communities are um, churches, synagogues, or other places of worship where um, they often offer individual support to people and caregivers, and I know in some places they even have a caregiver support group or meetings where maybe not so much support as it is providing information. So that's available in communities. There are a number of good websites for those caregivers who have a hard time getting out of the house to a, a meeting. 
or to a particular session, and some of those uh, websites are through the American Cancer Society or the uh, National Cancer Institute, and uh, listeners who are interested in those um, inform- more information about that can actually just Google those societies or National Cancer Institute, and um, try to. And it should list on there where there are access for uh, services, information, as well as um, support. And I would also just like to mention Cancer Care, who is another helpful organization uh, that provides telephone counseling to people um, free of charge. And so that's another resource that people can just Google to find out about that uh, resource. Yep. yep, and they're a good friend and partner of ours, Cancer Care in New York. Um, so we have just a couple minutes until the break, Donna, but, but um, other places where you sought or received support when your daughter was, was ill? Were you, did you other places in the community where you reached out? Um, actually, um, I'm part of a very close family. I have a lot of very good friends in my community, and my church was very supportive of both Abby and myself. But truly, the um, wellness community is where I really, really felt grounded. Um, I walked in the door. There was someone there that was always cheery to say hello. I was in with a group of people that got it. They understood uh, when I laughed. They understood when I cried. Um, I came in sometimes happy. I came in sometimes sad. But always I went out peacefully. And I, I, it was an unconditional setting. There's a wonderful lending library there. There were painting classes. There were exercise classes. As she mentioned, there were cooking classes. There was something there that would fulfill almost every need that a caregiver would have. And I am just want everyone to know how grateful I am, and I would do just about anything to see that program continue. Wonderful. Um, so just quickly, Bonnie, we just have only about a minute until the break. So just quickly, just review that list of services that are available there at, at, the, at the Cancer Support Community and at all, all 50 of our Cancer Support Community affiliates across the country. Of course. So um, I think the, a really beautiful thing about our programs is that it is evidence-based and very comprehensive. And as Donna mentioned, people can pick and choose which part of their program they want, our program they want to participate in. It's not an all-or-nothing kind of thing. Um, so we have support groups for both patients and caregivers separately and also together. We have nutrition and cooking classes, educational workshops where we bring in physicians, nurses, and social workers. We have um, lifestyle uh, management classes, stress management and exercise yoga, tai chi, meditation, all weekly. And we have social events at potlucks, parties, um, lunches, um, just things to get people together. Um, and all these programs are for the whole family, the whole time, the patient, the caregivers, their children, their friends, and everything is always free. Great, great. For free for people with all cancers, any stage of disease, for uh, family members, caregivers, loved ones. And again, we have 50 50 centers across the country. Um, our website is cancersupportcommunity.org. You can check that out and find out about some of these wonderful resources that we are providing. And we also have a list on the website of all of our many wonderful partners like Cancer Care who also provide these support services. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. We are talking about cancer caregiving. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. 
The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Cancer, it's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Throughout the episode, we've been talking about cancer caregivers. Um, we have a lot more to talk about today. I just want to mention that in 2009, uh, with support from the Breast Cancer Fund of the National Philanthropic Trust, the cancer support community introduced the CARE campaign for breast cancer caregivers, uh, CARE standing for Cancer Advocate Resources and Education. And as part of the national campaign, we produced a booklet for caregivers uh, of women with breast cancer and also developed a workshop for, for couples facing a breast cancer diagnosis together. While the initial phase of this program has been uh, targeted to breast cancer, it is our plan and intention to expand it in 2011 for caregivers of people with all kinds of cancers. So for more information about the CARE campaign and other resources available for caregivers, you can visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. In, in the last segment here, I, I'd like to ask Dr. Northhouse and Bonnie uh, to talk about the project that they're working on together to help people living with cancer and their families navigate the cancer journey together. Um, Dr. Northhouse, you, you developed a program for patients and, and caregivers called FOCUS. Can you tell us uh, what the program is and what it aims to do for, for patients and for caregivers? Sure, Kim. The FOCUS program offers information and support to people who have cancer and to their family caregivers. Probably the unique aspect of this program is that caregivers are included in the program to the same extent that uh, the patients or the survivors are. We started this program, I would say, about 13 years ago, and we had some uh, money, some funds from the National Cancer Institute to test the program to see if it was effective for women with uh, recurrent breast cancer, uh, in another study with men with prostate cancer, and more recently in a study with people dealing with advanced cancer, lung, colorectal, breast, and prostate. And we found um, over these uh, 13 or so years that the program has had a number of positive effects. But first of all, let me just say a few words about the program. The word FOCUS is really the acronym for some of the things we try to cover in the program. The F stands for Offering Family Support. We really emphasize communication, um, the support that patients give to family members as well as family members give to patients, a two-way street. Um, We talk about the O is like optimistic thinking, trying to set realistic goals and make the most of each day we have. 
the C has to do with helping people learn new coping strategies to try to um, move more actively and problem-solving some of the issues. And it also has to do with trying to use healthy lifestyle behaviors. That's all a part of the C in focus. Um, the U has to do with trying to deal with uncertainty, which we know is a, a pervasive part of dealing with cancer. We often have uncertainty on a day-to-day basis, and so we try to help people manage that uncertainty. And finally, the S, the focus, has to do with symptom management. Often treatments can cause some very bothersome symptoms, and we try to help um, the survivors deal with those symptoms, but we also know that, that caregivers have symptoms of their own, especially women as they get older, menopausal symptoms, so we deal with symptoms both of the patient and of the caregiver. And so the idea is to help um, patients and caregivers to be able to manage the illness, to manage the treatments, and ultimately to maintain their quality of life. And we think that uh, one of the important elements of our program is we encourage the um, survivors and family members, family caregivers, to work as a team. That's a real important concept in our program because they're, they're in it together. We know, even though we know that the cancer is in the, quote, patient's body, it is also in the caregiver's life. And so it's really important that they work as a unit to try to deal with the de- demands of cancer. Mm, wow. Amazing program. I said, and I, uh, I think that's a really powerful saying that cancer is in the, in the patient's body but in the caregiver's life. That's really very, very powerful. Um, Bonnie, how did, how did you guys there in southeast Michigan become involved in, in this program? Well, we were uh, fortunate enough to um, sort of become involved at being in the right place at the right time. Um, Laurel and Ashley from our headquarters office met with some folks from the Rosalind Carter Institute at a conference, and um, Laurel had been, um, as as a story that I understand, talking about her program um, as it was being provided uh, to the the dyad, meaning the patient and the caregiver, with one um, nurse doing the intervention. And so um, there was some discussion between uh, staff at our headquarters level, Laurel, and um, the Rosalind Carter Institute about about the potential for this great work to be translated into a community setting. And so... um, this project is completely in line with the work of the wellness community and the cancer support community, and it made perfect sense to partner to provide this program in the community setting free of charge. Um, it's an evidence-based program that is focused on improving quality of life, and um, that's consistent with all of our other programming. So we started having conversations with Laurel and with the Rosin Carter Institute about what could this um, translation potentially look like. Um, and then we uh, began uh, submitting some requests for funding, and um, lucky enough we were funded and we are in the second year of the project. So now, Bonnie, you've actually facilitated the FOCUS program for, for a few groups there in the community. What, what feedback are you getting? What do, what do people think about it? So we have uh, served 22 participants in the FOCUS group so far. Uh, we actually, our next series, it's a six-week series, will be starting on December 15th on Wednesdays. Um, we only have some um, preliminary data from that, those 22 participants, but so I had some responses. Um, one of the uh, response uh, rates that I think is really important to say is that the participants were asked how they would rate the importance of the program to people facing cancer, and on a scale of one to five, high being, high being of highest importance, 100% of the participants rated the program at a five. Wow. Um, which is huge. Um, Extraordinary, yeah. In addition to that, um, 
100% of the participants in the satisfaction survey said that they would recommend the program to other family members. Wow. So these, this is some concrete data, but some, some of the particular stories that I just really like to share is that there were, um, there were some couples in the program um, who one in particular mentioned that they had been getting along better in the last couple weeks after the FOCUS program than they had in years. So they had some communication difficulties before Mm. the FOCUS program, and we all know that then cancer comes into the home and it can just exacerbate the situation. So this um, helped them work through their cancer. It helped them work through their communication, and they were happier um, than they had been in in quite a long time. Um, We also have stories of people who have very healthy, great communication styles who I would hear them say to their loved one, I have never heard you say that. I never Mm. knew that that's what you needed from me. I never knew that you felt that way. Um, It creates a safe environment to bring up sensitive issues that maybe questions that aren't maybe being asked um, in the home on their own. Um, right. So that's some really um, important thing to, things to remember, too, is that the FOCUS program is not just for patients and family members who aren't doing well, um, but it can also help people do better. Um, do better, yeah. Yeah, so I'm just, uh, we're, we're moving towards the end of our show. I just want to get Dr. Northhouse to jump in quickly and, um, and Donna as well. So Dr. Northhouse, just quickly, what, what, are, what are our hopes for the, for, the, for the future of this program? Where is this going? Well, we would love to be able to continue the program and continue to work with the uh, cancer support community and get what we know is a program that has positive effects on both patients and caregivers out there where more people can use it. And the other thing we're doing is we're now developing a web version of the program so that those caregivers that have a hard time getting out to a group um, can actually do the program from home. So right now we're testing that in a pilot study. Uh, so we just hope to make this program available to more people out there, and um, uh, that's the idea. That's Great. Point. Well, and with, certainly with 50 centers, we have a nice uh, uh, dissemination yeah, network you're, you're to, perfect. Do, to <laughs> do that. To do that. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we're really happy about that partnership and that you all have developed there, and um, looking forward to expanding that into the future. Donna, I just want to turn to you for uh, for maybe one or two quick closing um, uh, remarks. Um, advice. For listeners who are out there today who might be taking care of a loved one with cancer or maybe somebody heard today that their loved one was diagnosed with cancer and they're thinking, gosh, what, what is this going to be like? What is this going to mean? Some quick advice for our listeners today, Donna? Yes. Um, you realize right initially that you need help. You need support and you need to find a place where you can be open and you can um, be yourself and you can work with other people, work as a team. Um, take one day at a time and never give up hope. Fantastic. Uh, Dr. Northhouse, Bonnie, a quick, quick, quick word of advice as yes, we wrap up um, the show. I agree, again, I agree with everything Bonnie, sa- uh, Bonnie or Donna said. But Donna, yeah. One other quick thing is that we try to encourage people not to be consumed by the cancer. Now, I know that's mm-hmm. hard when you're, you're living it every minute by minute, but if there's a way to try to find a way to do things in your life that you find rewarding and satisfying in addition to dealing with the cancer, it's really important. You need that balance. That balance is really yes, critical. Absolutely. Uh, Bonnie? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that um, I echo both both uh, Laurel and and Donna's comments that um, being a cancer caregiver doesn't define you. We talk about what makes a person a person, and it's not um, being a caregiver. It's also perhaps being a mother, being a a nurse, being a um, you know enjoying playing basketball, or all the things that make you you. It's important that people remember who they are and to keep their identity and to know. That it, it is okay. Um, it is okay to call upon their their loved ones and family members, and that it you know it, it takes a village. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's been a really great um, discussion today on uh, cancer caregiving. I want to thank all of our panelists for being here and educating and informing us and our listeners about the important role that cancer caregivers play in their loved one's um, cancer journey and really about the importance of of seeking help as a caregiver, finding balance, seeking help, seeking support resources, um, uh, and really just remembering that in order to take the best possible care of your of your loved one, you need to take the best possible care of yourself. Um, and we want to emphasize that for, for folks and to know that taking care of yourself as a caregiver is not a luxury. Um, uh, it is not uh, an indulgence. Um, it's something that you must do uh, to stay healthy and to be the best caregiver uh, that you can be. As I mentioned, the cancer support community, we've got 50 centers around the country uh, where we're providing a whole range of free services for people with cancer and their caregivers and their loved ones. Visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. You can call us toll-free at 888-793-9355. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 